I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, well, let's talk about something that, based on the responses I got from a previous episode, you guys really seem to like, so I figured, let's do another one. I'm talking about a sequel to Ancient and Mysterious Objects. Some are more ancient, and most are less mysterious than you'd think. But first, as always, shout out to my patrons, and everyone should love them because, because of their support, they make this show sound better, look better, and frankly, have more episodes. So if you want to be like them, head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. Every dollar I get goes to making the show a better thing, I guess. Making the show a better podcast. Making Paranormal Almanac better. However you want to say it, your help goes a long way to doing it. Well, because frankly, I couldn't do it without you. Probably wouldn't do it without you. I would much rather take some time off and do a bunch of other things than come back and do this whenever I want if I didn't think anybody was listening. But people are listening, so I figured let's keep this ball rolling. Let's keep this train it going and let's do some shout outs. Up first, we have shout outs to Melissa, Angie, Manning, Megan, Jonathan, David, Joe, Rosa, Shelly, Lauren, Lily, Veronica, Martin, Lash, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson. Pause right here. Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson took me to the Calico Ghost Town last weekend for a ghost tour of the mines. So it was really cool. I've never seen... I passed by the Calico Ghost Ghost Town a million times on my way to Vegas. Never thought to stop by. I didn't think much of it. So glad they took me. It was a blast. I can't thank them enough. It was so much fun. But then we actually got to do a ghost tour in a mine, an 1800s silver mine. So we didn't see any ghosts, unfortunately, but it was really neat to do a ghost tour in such an odd location or a unique location. So once again, I thank them. Back to shout outs. Kira, Maggie. Hi, Maggie. Hope the move's going well. Laura, Ruth, Anthony, Dan. Dan's awesome. We hung out once. Matt, Scott, Laura, Chuck, Suzanne, Joshua, Vincente, M. Calvillo, Troy, Nick, Autumn, Travis, Sarah, Amber, Rodney, Nanashi, Michaela, Heidi, Rachel, Lindsay, Juliana, Edgar, Sarah, Seth, Lawrence, Kyle, Jory, Keith, Jeff, J. Mark, Carolyn, Jim, Jade, Shani, Lauren, Carolyn, Pablo, Jeff, Dill, Laura, Laura, Daniel, And two special shout-outs to Victoria and Colby, two really cool, awesome, fun people that I just met this week. Had a great time chatting with them. Victoria and I were chatting about paranormal stuff. She seemed awesome. So special shout-outs to them. Now, the first story of paranormal news is one that a lot of you sent me, which I love. Please send me more. I love these things. And it says, Michigan couple claims they captured a ghost on nanny cam after baby appears to have deep scratches on her face. It's a young couple, and they said that their home's possibly haunted because their daughter appeared to have three deep purple scratches on her face. They also believe they captured the the poltergeist, not the ghost, the poltergeist on their nanny cam. And of course, they're ready to move out now because of it. So they set up a nanny cam and they discovered purple scratches on their kid, uh, one-year-old Lily. And they believe what they captured on the camera can only be described as a ghost. So I'm going to watch it now for the first time. I've avoided watching it so I could tell you guys about it and watch it on air or on podcast. Okay. 
Oh, all right. Um, all right, that is really interesting. So it's, I mean, it instantly goes right into it. They don't waste any time. Um, so it's a nanny cam. There's a kid in a in a uh, crib, what you know, one of those foldable cribs. And then there does seem to be somebody behind the kid, and it just kind of goes off to the left. Obviously, I'll put... Hmm. They're definitely see-through. Um, obviously, I'll put this on the Facebook. Uh, I gotta watch that one more time. Hold on a second. Okay. They... Uh, what are they doing in the very beginning? They do kind of fade off to the left. I'll be honest. I don't know what to make of this one. It's not a long video, that's for sure. They play it again. All right, let's see. Yeah, it just kind of fades off to the left. I don't know if it's a ghost image, and I mean ghost image in the video sense, like this has been recorded over and over again, or is it a ghost image because the person is far enough away from the IR light that it's only partially picking them up? I don't know. I don't necessarily know if it's a ghost. I wish they would have shown what time it happened at. They would have left it a little bit unedited so I could see what was happening before and after, what the parents look like when they're in the room, that kind of stuff. It's interesting. Don't know if it's a ghost, but I want your guys' opinion. I'll post this up on Facebook. Let me know what you guys think. Is that a, uh, a video of a ghost? And the ghost doesn't walk up and scratch the baby or anything. So I have a feeling that, I don't know if you've ever been around babies, they have really sharp nails, like seriously sharp nails, and they scratch themselves all the time. A lot of people put little like mittens on their kid's hand. Now this kid looks like he was, they were standing up, she was standing up, Lily was standing up, so they're a little bit older for that, but I don't know. I'm thinking the kid scratched herself in her sleep, but what do I know? Alrighty, next up we have mysterious planet-wide rumble may have come from the largest underwater eruption ever recorded. Now on November 11th, 2018, a deep rumble was heard around the world. I even talked about it on this podcast. And one that humans couldn't feel, but registered quite clearly on the seismometers. Well, it appears that it originated 30 miles east near Madagascar, a place called Mayotte or Mayotte. And it seems to have been the largest... Oh, and everybody was saying, oh, it was like a giant prehistoric sea monster roaring or some of that BS. Um, but it seemed to be part of a prolonged seismic, sequ seismic sequence that had started in the area back in May of 2018, but the very low frequency in November stood out because it wasn't immediately obvious what caused it. Well, now it looks like they do know because researchers at the French Geological Survey and France's École Normale Supérieure, well, they think they know exactly what caused it. And they said, not surprisingly, the rumble is definitively being generated by volcanic activity of some sort. So basically, some massive underwater volcano just growled, just rumbled, and we heard it. Now, this is still terrifying because the ring of fire affects other things on the ring of fire, and it usually sparks more volcanoes, which seems to be happening, more earthquakes, which again seems to be happening, and... Considering I live in California, I don't particularly like earthquakes. But, more importantly, volcanoes seem to add pressure or seem to cause other volcanoes, including the supervolcano under Yellowstone, which, for everybody's sake, we hope does not erupt. Alrighty. And I hope you guys realize why, because it's an earth killer. Alrighty, next up, one of my favorite celestial objects, I guess you'd call it. Favorite... Things in space, interstellar object, that's it. One of my favorite interstellar objects, Oumaumau. Well, it may not be so mysterious after all. I've talked about this a few times, and this is that weird cone-shaped looking, cigar-shaped looking object that went through our solar system that everybody was like, that doesn't, it doesn't act like a comet. It doesn't act like an asteroid. It's gotta be some form of alien spaceship. Well, now they're saying that it probably isn't anything extraterrestrial. Probably. They said that they can see a elongated pill or capsule-like object emitting vapors of par uh, vaporized particles, like a jet, mostly water vapor, which might explain why we don't see any tail. This also says why it's going through the uh, through the solar system the way it is. It's on its own little trajectory as the sunlight or whatever star it passes by heats it up and then it cools off then heats it up and then it cools off so it's just shooting around being all weird 
cigar shaped like. Probably not a UFO. I do like that they say probably, though, because that's what everybody sticks with. Oh, probably means it could be. Yeah, it might be. Okay. So that was paranormal news. Let's get actually to this topic because it's going to be a long one. Hopefully you guys don't mind this. It's going to be a big one. And let's get started with the very first one up on this list. And the first one on this list is called the Sky Stone. Now, let me tell you about it first before I, you know, dash everything. The first Sky Stone, I don't know why they call it the first one. It seems to be the only one was discovered in a village outside of Freetown, Sierra Leone in 1990 by Angelo Pitoni. So 1990, Angelo Pitoni, very sketchy looking or very sketchy archaeologist or discoverer, if you will. I say sketchy because he doesn't really have the respect to the scientific community. But anyhow, he finds this eerie blue stone. And it seems to be the only one of its kind because this stone is, ma uh, this stone is made mostly from oxygen. 77% oxygen, 20% carbon and lime, as well as silicon and other materials. But 77% oxygen, that's the thing that everybody wants you to know about. So this rock seems to have been created by whom? Aliens? Gods? Depending on which article you find or which website you go to, they go real batshit crazy down rabbit holes about this, but who knows? So let's find out. Well, based on a bunch of websites about the Sky Stone, they all say researchers agree that the blue rock isn't similar to any type of mineral in nature. In fact, they aren't even sure if it's of this earth. So Angelo Pitoni sends the mysterious stone, he breaks it up, sends the mysterious stone to be investigated at several laboratories around the world, and they all told him this was like nothing ever found on earth. Keep waiting, hold on. So the tests were carried out at laboratories of the University of Geneva, the University of Rome, Utrecht, I don't know, Utrecht, I don't know, Tokyo, and Freiburg, Germany. So all these labs got samples of the stones. And again, based on what dozens of websites say, all experts said the same thing. Namely, that this blue stone does not exist because... It is not even similar to any type of rock known in nature on this planet. At the University of Utrecht, the stone underwent several tests with acids, but none of the acids managed to damage or modify the stone. Keep that in mind. It was heated to 3000 degrees Celsius and its composition wasn't even altered. The most interesting part is when the small piece of the stone was pulverized and viewed under a microscope, it had no color. So far, the only thing that researchers know is that it has not been made by nature and it has not originated on Earth. Researchers decided to crush one piece of the rock and mixed it with acetone, hexane, and methylene and enhanced the extractions with ultrasound. Finally, researchers were able to detect an organic compound that was unknown to science. Sounds impressive, right? Well, Let's pause right there and let's break down what I just said. So we have acetone, which is a nail polish remover, basically. It removes paint. We have hexane, which is a cheap, relatively safe, largely unreactive, and easily evaporated nonpolar solvent. So nothing really there. So they're using one kind of thing that breaks down stuff like nail polish remover or paint remover. Hexane, which seems to do the same thing, kind of. And also, methylene. Now, let's assume they mean a methylene compound, which is an acid. So basically, they're using three things, two of which would break it down and one that would not really do anything. This is an example of BS chemistry using big words to sound impressive. All right, let's continue with the BS. So the Sky Stone does, in fact, have a non-mineral element in its composition, but it does not reveal much since it is unknown. Another mystery, again, don't worry, I'm going to debunk all this. Another mystery related to the Stone of Heaven, why they named it that is one of those rabbit holy things, is that this artifact is always found in soil layers dating to at least 12,000 BC. The stone was certainly produced by an unknown, highly advanced civilization lost in time. Why? No one really says because it's BS. Incredible? Nope. Just crap. 
utter bullshit. And here's why. It named the universities, the laboratories that carried out these experiments. So guess what I did? I contacted all five schools that were said in the story and none of them had even heard of the supposed Skystone, let alone had or tested any ever. And no, this isn't some kind of government cover-up. They just didn't do it at all. I spent the time to email the labs and basically all I got back was a, what the fuck are you even talking about kind of reply, but you know, professionally done. None of the labs had ever heard of a Skystone or were ever sent a sample. In fact, a few of them even went and checked their archives for me and then said, nope, no such thing was ever here. So basically, I wasted scientists' time on the freaking Skystone. And for that, I do apologize. But this is what I'm talking about when I talk about do the basic research websites. All these stupid websites, just do the basic research. It took me five emails and then a few more back and forths with reputable scientists mentioned in the stories. And it debunked it. It completely debunked something that is regurgitated again and again. Also, here is something from someone way smarter than me. Quote, the statement 70% oxygen is meaningless in terms of it can't be from Earth. That makes no sense. Here's a compound you may have heard of that's 53% pure oxygen. It's called silicon oxide, otherwise known as sand. So this whole thing that everybody focuses on, oh, it's 77% oxygen, it's so light, it's mostly oxygen, means nothing. Like I said, all of the sites about the Skystone regurgitate the same crap, and then they add to it with even more bullshit. Some have a tale of some BS god that was in the sky, but was turned into a boulder, fell to earth, and that's why it's sky blue color, which looks a lot like, you know, sky, makes no sense at all. It's BS. And then there's other ones that say, well, it looks like nothing on earth. Well, it looks a lot like impure, poorly formed crystals of copper sulfate. That's what it looks like. So... I'm sorry, Skystone believers, and I know I have a couple of fans out there that like the Skystone because you asked me about it. Here we go. Here is why you shouldn't believe everything you read, because this story is filled with a bunch of mumbo-jumbo and BS. There is no evidence that the Skystone, the Rock of Heaven, there's no evidence that it's real. It's probably just some man-made fake blue rock. Guess what? Angelo Pitoni has been known to allegedly do stuff like that. Now, that being said, there is a real Skystone, but it's not nearly as interesting or woo-woo. It is the name of a stone that might have had an astronomical significance to the, and I'm going to get this wrong and I apologize, Native American fans, the Puyallup tribe, P-U-Y-A-L-L-U-P. Um, so basically, these Native Americans called the Pul. Puyallup, I don't know, I'm sorry, tribe. Um, well, they had this stone. It had over 20 pits pounded onto its surface that appear to be man-made. The holes seem to point towards both astronomical and geographic features, and they point in the direction of Polaris, Sirius, the Little Dipper, and Orion. It was probably used to predict, to predict lunar standstills. Most of the holes aligned with the sun's position on the solstices, which may have allowed Native Americans to predict the changing of seasons. The stone was discovered during a suburban housing development project in 1999. It's listed and preserved as an archaeological site by the Washington State Office of Archaeology and Historic Preservation. So, one Skystone is BS, the other Skystone is real, but with no BS attached to it. Now this next one on the list sounds like something out of a Hawaiian Brady Bunch episode, so I'm going to guess it's cursed. A green gold obsidian spear point was found in the volcanic Haleakala? Haleakala. Haleakala? Hold on. Let's find out how to pronounce Haleakala. Because I should have done this before the episode started, but why wait till then? Okay. 
Haliakala. 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 I gotta keep saying it till I get it to that point again. Alrighty. Hi, Stitch. So a gold, a green gold obsidian spear was found in the volcanic Haliakala crater by Brian Axtell and Trevor Carter in 2009. And it seems like it could be legit. There's more. While they were looking around the crater, they stumbled upon something that shouldn't be anywhere near Hawaii. Something that seems to be very ancient and Mayan. That's right, that green gold obsidian spear point is a Mayan artifact. Now, scientists are hesitant to say it's real. Some say the edges aren't sharp enough to be a real Mayan spearhead, so it could be a replica sold to tourists for years. But the interesting thing here, though, is where it was found. It's not a place people should be walking around. It was found inside the main vent, the main caldera, which is about the size of Manhattan. And the only peoples that really seem to go this deep in the volcano crater would be ancient Hawaiians who use the crater as a burial location. But Hawaiians don't mark their burials because if someone could access your burial cave, they could take your grave goods and your power. Scientists, some scientists, I should say, suggest that an exotic and reflective item from a foreign land might have been used as a grave good and percolated out or had been blasted out of the ground in more recent times. So again, this Mayan spearhead, it is possible, it's really old, and it's really real. Here's the frustrating part of this. Tests were supposed to be done, tests were supposed to be done on it in 2014, but I can't find the results anywhere. So for now, there might be an ancient connection between the Mayans and the Hawaiians. Hopefully, science will let us know and I'll keep an eye out so I can give you guys an update on a possibly very intriguing connection between two ancient indigenous people that should have had no connections at all. Like I said, for now, it does appear to be real. A Mayan object was found in a Hawaiian volcano. Amazing story. Okay, for this next one, let's see how long it takes before you call bullshit on this one. It was November 2009. Don't call bullshit yet. Hold on. When a bunch of news articles reported the discovery of a, quote, alien graveyard in Rwanda, it was discovered by a Swiss, by a Swiss, by a Swiss anthropologist named Dr. Hugo Childez. All articles went back to one source, the Weekly World News. Should I pause there? This is where you guys should be screaming out bullshit. Or should I keep going? Okay, let's keep going. So, a quick Google search of Dr. Hugo Childez only links back to, you guessed it, an article by the Weekly World News about an alien graveyard in Rwanda. So at this point, your bullshit meter should be screaming at you. This story is completely made up, but for shits and giggles, here's this totally made up story with zero proof or actual people in it. Okay, the story goes that Dr. Hugo Childez discovered more than 200, quote, remarkably well-preserved but unusual bodies in a clearing in the Rwandan jungle. Tissue and soil samples suggested that they had been in the ground for at least 500 years. Now, did I mention they look weird? Well, they were taller and more slender than humans, standing about seven feet tall and about as thick as small saplings, although their heads were larger than the average humans. They did lack a mouth, nose, and eyes, and because of this, Dr. Childez assumed, quote, they communicated with each other telepathically and moved around like bats with some kind of bi biological radar. Okay. Now, the bodies were supposedly stacked in groups of five, and Dr. Childez believed that 200 aliens were part of a single landing party that encountered a deadly virus. Some of them must have survived because there is no evidence of a spaceship to be found. Shockingly, and by shockingly, I mean not shockingly at all, the only photograph in the report does not show any bodies at all, just a collection of rocks in a small trench, because why take a photo of the actual alien bodies when you have a bunch of rocks in a small trench. Now, not surprising for regular listeners, this story is repeated and regurgitated 
all over the internet with videos and supposed proof, yet none of the videos are actually of the video of Rwanda. None of the proof has anything to do with anything because, again, this story was made up by the Weekly World News. Dr. Hugo Chilvez, who gives people interviews on some of these sites, does not exist. They quote him on other sites. He does not exist. And this isn't the only alien cemetery supposedly found. So heads up, this next one is a double debunk for this episode. This next one, it all starts in China in 1962. Or 1947. Or 1937. Or some other random date, because nobody has a cohesive structure of story for this one. It's all BS. Uh, it's, uh, so it's some random date in the remote mountains of the Bayan Karaula region of the Tibet-China border. Here, a Chinese archaeologist named Zum Um Nui found a graveyard for the remains of short little beings with large oval heads in caves. So they find these little tiny heads, or these tiny beings with large heads in this cave. Along with the bodies, this archaeologist, that... Surprise, never existed also. This archaeologist found 716 stone discs lined with spiral grooves. The story goes the discs were sent to various people. No, they weren't. Including an unnamed Chinese professor who said that the grooves were actually written characters and a bunch of museums. No museums have ever received a dropa stone. So they sent them out to a bunch of museums. That unnamed professor actually translated the unknown text, and it was the story of the Dropa or Drapa aliens. Doesn't matter because it's doesn't it's not real. It doesn't matter. Who crashed their spacecraft in the region 12,000 years ago and ended up staying on Earth, being hunted by some people but befriending others. Now there's even more BS on Wikipedia because the stones were then sent to Russia. Now remember how a bunch were sent all over the world, but. Anyhow, apparently they got them all back, and then they were sent to Russia, where a Dr. Vyacheslav Seizev Vyacheslav did experiments on the discs, and they hummed in bizarre fashions. So let's go down that rabbit hole for a second. Let's forget the part about somehow all the stone discs were rounded up and given to one Russian in the 60s, because that's what you would do with Chinese discs that were found on the Tibet-Chinese border. So, this Russian never existed either. Here we have two options for his name. He's either, quote, A, a Russian former volleyball player who competed for the Soviet Union in the 1976 Summer Olympics, or, so he's probably not that one, or he's a Soviet-slash-Russian fashion designer, painter, graphic artist, and theatrical costume designer. So, you know, my money's on that one. Now, those are the only two I could find online, and I doubt either is a Dropa Stone Sphere expert. All right, quick recap for everybody, because I went down a few rabbit holes. We have a Chinese archaeologist that never existed, looked her up, didn't exist, only links back to this story. Finding bodies that never existed, and spheres that never existed, that were sent to a Russian scientist that never existed, but wait, there's more. Because Ernst Wegerer, Ernst Wegerer, who is an Austrian engineer who might or might not have lived, but I can't find anything else about him other than references to this story, so I'm not going to say he doesn't, but chances are he doesn't. Well, in 1974, he visited the Banpo Museum in Xi'an, Xi'an, China, and guess what? They were the discs just sitting there on display. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any way to contact it, like to contact the museum at all. So I'm just going to guess none of this is real because I can't find any clear photos of the dropa discs in the museum, dropa dropa, that they were supposedly on display for years. This is a very popular museum that a lot of people go to that I could find billions of photos of, but none of these supposed discs. And the story goes, he asked about this... So, anyhow, the story goes, he asked about the discs 
but the manager didn't know anything about them. So like every museum, never the manager opened the display case and just handed this Austrian engineered tourist the discs. And of course he then started taking photos of them. Then by 1994, both the discs and the manager had disappeared from the museum. Dun, dun, dun. Whew. All right. That was a whole lot of crap for one short story. Uh, so those photos, they are photos of discs, but this guy said, well, because of the flash, you can't really see all the crazy cool writing. And obviously none of that is on there because of the flash. Well, a lot of people seem to think that the discs that he took photos of are jade discs that are in museums in China, might have been in the Museum of Banpo in 1974, but are not the Dropa stone discs at all. So again, a lot of people in this story, none of them are real. One, maybe Ernst is real, we don't know. I seriously doubt that the Chinese government got rid of both the discs and the manager, made them both disappear, and then wiped the records completely for the museum, and not one photo from the millions of tourists that have gone through that museum has ever ended up online. <sighs> Again, whole lot of crap, one short story. All right, this next one is real. It's weird but it's real. It's called the Traub, Traub, Traub motorcycle, T-R-A-U-B, Traub motorcycle. And it was found behind a wall in a Chicago building in 1968. Now, when they tore down the wall, they were surprised to find a World, One, World War I era looking motorcycle, but was completely unique looking. It had a completely original looking design with only one word on it, Traub, T-R-A-U-B. But what also made it unique was it was a one-of-a-kind braking system, had specially made parts not found in any other motorcycle then or since, and overall, it was far more advanced than anything else like it of its era. And even though it looks like it had been in the wall since World War I, they put some air in the tires, they put some gas in the tank, and the motorcycle ran smoothly. So a part of the mystery was cleared up though, when the first owner of the buildings, the first owners of the buildings were contacted, they were tracked down, they were contacted, they said, where'd this motorcycle come from? And they said, oh, well, in 1916, our son stole a motorcycle, so we hid it behind the wall before he shipped off overseas for the war and never came back. So one part of the mystery seems to have been revealed, and another part was just revealed. Oh, and the motorcycle, if you want to see it, it's on display at the Wheels Through Time Museum. So you can go and look at this motorcycle. It's a very beautiful motorcycle, by the way. But anyhow, another part of the story seems to have been proven true as well, or they found who built it. His name was Gottlieb Richard Traub, and he was born in America, but he was of German descent. Now, correspondence from a Richard Traub to the editor of Motorcycle Illustrator was printed in July of 1907. I obviously didn't do this tracking down. Whoever did, absolute brilliant. Now, the letter's author lists his address as North Paulina Street in Chicago. So, he's in the area. It's the right time, 1907. The motorcycle was stolen in 1916. It looks like it's World War I. All of it seems to match up. And in that letter, he talks about his homemade four-horsepower motorcycle. So some internet sleuth seems to have actually found Richard Traub. Now, he seemed to have been a motorcycle inventor. But here's the odd thing. No other Traubs exist today, and no one knows why this motorcycle was never reported stolen. And based on the complexity of the motorcycle, everybody seems to agree it's a shame he didn't keep building them since he really seemed to know what he was doing. So, kind of bizarre. So, it stayed in a wall for 50-some years. Absolutely incredible. Okay, this next one. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm going real fake, or fake real, fake real, or real fake, real fake. Let's see. Which way am I going? Uh, fake. Next one was real. Next one was fake. 
next one was real. Okay, so by that count, this next one, as you should probably be able to guess, it's a another great story. Tons of websites devoted to it. It's called the Tucson Artifacts, and guess what? It's gonna be debunked. But here's the story first. The year was 1924, September 13th to be exact. A man named Charles Manier and his father stopped to examine some old lime kilns while driving northwest of Tucson on Silver Bell Road. And this is where he saw an object sticking out of the soil only a couple of inches. So he digs it out, and to his surprise, it's a 20-inch long lead cross, which weighed 64 pounds. That's right, 64 pounds. It's a big freaking cross. And it wasn't the only thing they found, because for the next six years, they dug up and found a total of 32 objects. Now, this stuff was found in a lime cement. And that lime cement can happen naturally over a very long period of time. Or, it can also happen really quickly and be man-made. Remember that man-made part, okay? Alright, so let's keep going with the story. So they look at the details of the objects, and there are Latin inscriptions on the crosses. They find little swords and shields and spear tips. And one piece actually had a little drawing of a dinosaur on it. So, just all sorts of bizarre things found on lead crosses and lead shapes. Now, these things seem to be really, really old. Like Roman times old. Still doesn't, still doesn't explain how one has a dinosaur on it, but let's keep going. So these two men think they discovered some sort of Roman Judeo-Christian colony that lived in Arizona between the years of 700 and 900 AD, and they must have had some contact with dinosaurs. All right, so let's pause right there. If these objects are real, this is a historic find. How did this colony get to Arizona? How long did they survive there, and what happened to them? Surely there should be an entire living quarters-type archaeological site there if this was the case, right? Well, there's two scientists that every site that talks about this story use as scientists that 100% believe they are the real deal. Those scientists are Byron Cummings, who is the founder of the Classics Program and Archaeology at the University of Arizona from 1927 all the way to 1928. And he died in the 50s before the hoax findings really ever blew up. Then there was Neil Judd, who headed the Smithsonian Excavations at Chaco Canyon. They both supposedly believe them to be genuine. A ton of sites say these two real people, and they both existed, these two real guys, Brian Cummings and Neil Judd, well, they're scientists, and they went down and looked at these objects, and they said, these are 100% real. Well, they didn't at all. In fact, this is what they said at the time. Neil Merton Judd, curator of the National Museum at the Smithsonian Institute, happened to be in Tucson at the time of the discovery of the objects, and after examining them, thought they were fakes and found nothing that led and found nothing that led him to believe they were genuine. Boom. Actual quote from this guy, Neil Judd. He was there. He looked at the objects. He examined them. They were fake. Nothing more. Stitch. I'm trying to record an episode over here. Be cool, man. Okay. So now let's get to the Latin texts on the objects found. What they determined was these were random sentences in Latin and a very simple search of books available at that time showed that, yep, someone had taken random Latin sentences from very readily available books and transcribed them on the lead objects. That was it. Nothing more. This, plus the investigation of the site itself at the time, showed that the holes were dug, and then the objects were put in the holes, and then covered up to be, quote, found later. So they could find the actual Latin texts in readily available books at the time, and the sentences weren't even the complete sentences. Some of them were just random sentences of Latin written on a lead cross. So... 
again, it's a pretty slam dunk indication to me that this is a badly done hoax. But again, there is a ton of websites and books, by the way. I actually wrote to the guy who's the quote expert on the Tucson artifacts that wrote a book about them. And I said, hey, in your book, you quote these two guys as saying it's 100% real, yet that isn't the real quote. In fact, they said they were, they thought them to be fake, nothing more. What can you tell me about that? And surprise, surprise, he never emailed me back. Big shock. Even more surprising, he's selling a lot of books about this obviously fake thing that he says he's decoded and they're 100% real and it shows proof of yada, yada, yada BS. It's crap. Alrighty, next up is a quick one, and it's not a real one. Sorry, I know I was going down that pattern, but let's talk about the solid Muldoon. It was created by a man named George Hull, who created the Cardiff Giant. Now, I talked about the Cardiff Giant on a former Mysterious Objects episode. Well, George Hull, quote, found the solid Muldoon, which was a nude petrified, totally real and not fake at all, like his last one that he, quote, found rock giant. This is the real one. He found another nude petrified rock giant. What are the odds? Now, George Hall went a bit crazy trying to convince people that this giant was real. He actually went around going, hey, hey, guys, this rock giant is totally real. Not like that last rock giant that was instantly determined to be fake. How do I know it's real? Well, here's how he knew it was real. He actually added mortar, rock dust, clay, and plaster to create this new giant man. But he didn't stop there. He also added ground bones, blood, and actual meat, and then baked it all in a kiln. So he says he discovered a petrified giant, and it had to be real because of all the human stuff inside. Also, based on where you get your information, some sites say he actually used human bones in like, you know, an arm bone here and a leg bone there inside the giant. So the one thing that is real about this one is George Hall was really batshit crazy. He kept trying to prove to people that he found these stone giants that were proof of giants from the past. The other crazy part is he actually made quite a bit of money doing it both times. People paid him to go see the Cardiff giant and then people paid him to see the quote solid Muldoon. No wonder he did it more than once. People kept paying him for it because people like now back then people were dumb. Okay. This next one is real. And it's about treasure, which might still be out there. So here's your chance to be rich. It's called the Copper Scroll Treasure. Copper Scroll Treasure. It's an ancient copper scroll from around 100 AD that was discovered in 1952 at the site of the Qumran, which is the in the West Bank of Palestine, right next to the Dead Sea Scrolls. So this scroll was found in the same cave as the Dead Sea Scrolls. The ancient copper scroll was written in Hebrew, and the translation suggests a massive amount of hidden treasure that was hidden from the Romans. Now, I didn't realize it wasn't just the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found, but 15 scrolls, and this is the last of the 15 that was ever found. When they found it, it was rolled up copper and they couldn't just unroll it without destroying it. So they went, or they sent it to Manchester University's College of Technology in England who cut it into 23 strips or sections where it was transcribed and later translated. The translator determined this was real and it was old. In fact, it was actually found at the back of the caves and they determined it was a separate earlier deposit from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, it wasn't officially translated into until 1962, which is a full 10 years after it was discovered. All right, let's get to the treasure talk. The scroll is an inventory of 64 locations, 63 of which are treasures of gold and silver, which has been estimated in the tons. 
For example, one single location described on the Copper Scrolls describes 900 talents, that's 868,000 troy ounces, of buried gold. Tithing vessels are also listed among the entries, along with other vessels. And three locations featured scrolls. One entry apparently mentions priestly vestments. The final listing points to a duplicate document with additional details, but of course, that document has never been found, or at least never publicly released. The wording structure is basically like this. One, general location. Two, specific location, often with distance to dig. And three, what to find. All right, got it? Here we go. One, one, in the ruins that is in the Valley of Acor, A-C-O-R. Under... 1-2. The steps, with the entrance at the east, 1-3. A distance of 40 cubits, a strong box of silver, and its vessels, 1-4. With a weight of 17 talents. And then the last thing is like three Greek letters. Oh, and it keeps going. In the salt pit that is under the steps, 41 talents of silver. In the cave of the old washer's chamber, on the third terrace, 65 ingots of gold. So again, get out there and find that treasure. And if you do, please cut me in. What also leads me to believe that the treasure is real? Well, many treasure hunters have deciphered the full text and gone hunting, but most of them have found absolutely nothing. Here's a theory why. And I kind of agree with this theory, by the way, but we'll get to a reason why I'm not 100% convinced. Uh, so the main theory by all these treasure hunters is that the Romans found the treasure and it's gone. Another theory is the Knights Templar found themselves the treasure. They found the second scroll and the treasure. And if you go down that rabbit hole, this is the treasure that they deposited on Oak Island. So if you watch Curse of Oak Island, this might be that treasure they keep talking about. Now, there is one treasure hunter, though, who might have really been on the right path. And this leads me to believe that these things are real, but who knows if the treasure's real. It's a man named Barfield, and in 2007, he used his map reading skills to triangulate. Using the references in the Copper Scroll, he actually pinpointed locations around the Qumran, and when he went there, he found those locations. In one case, the scroll described steps 40 cubits long heading east. Barfield found those stairs just like the scroll said. In the direction they said, 40 cubits long, everything was right. He also discovered the remains of a pool, precisely 40 cubits long, exactly where the scroll said it would be. Now here's the bummer part. He didn't have government permission to go any further. And with the current political climate, it doesn't look like he's going to get permission anytime soon. So he actually found this stuff, went there, found the steps, found everything like it said, and then couldn't get to the next step. The government stopped him. And like I said, it doesn't look like he's going to get permission anytime soon. So you can go there, probably not legally. And if you find the treasure, they're probably going to take it from you anyway, or kill you or something terrible is going to happen to you. So please, if you're going out to find this treasure, don't do it because I told you about it. Because I would feel bad if you got, you know, killed. Alrighty, you can't have a mysterious object episode without mystery coins. These particular mystery coins were found in 2016 during an excavation of an ancient Japanese castle called the Katsuren Castle in Okinawa. Now initially, they thought the coins would turn out to be the pennies thrown by American GIs back in the war for good luck. But when they actually examined the coins... They discovered that these coins weren't American pennies, but ancient Roman coins from 320 to 370 AD. What I can tell you is the story's real. It actually happened, they found the coins. And no one knows how the coins got there, because there was no known connection between the Romans at the time and the Japanese. It's thought maybe the coins, which would have already been old at the time, were used as trade or curiosities by merchants in the castle coming from China or Southeast Asia. 
But other experts now think that the Romans did indeed have contact in this region between 300 AD and 370 AD, which would rewrite a lot of history books. So again, this one is very intriguing to me. I love it when history gets rewritten because of science. I also like it when they find mystery coins, because most times mystery coins turn out to be BS. This one doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be real. Okay, this next one isn't exactly paranormal. Actually, it's not paranormal at all, but it is one of North America's earliest cave paintings ever. And for that reason alone, I wanted to add it to this list. It is ancient and it is mysterious. It's a 24 foot long painting and it's located in the lower, in the lower Pecos River Canyon in Southwest Texas. And it's called the White Shaman Rock and it was done by the, oh no, more things, the Hu Chal, Hu Chal, all right, how do, back to pronunciations. Huchol, Spanish. Huchol. And it was done by the Huchol tribe, which is a tribe that lived there, the Native American tribe that lived there. It was a hunter-gatherer's tribe, and they basically avoided contact with European settlers based on their remote Sierra Madre Mountains habitat. Now, the paintings were done two thousand years ago they seem to have been done by the tribe's shaman and was probably done to show a ritual possibly influenced by the shaman taking peyote archaeologists are just starting to decipher the paintings but one thing is clear a tribe flourished there for thousands of years they were called the huchol tribe one of the oldest paintings ever in north america very fascinating to look at it's kind of neat too so Maybe I'll throw a photo up on Instagram and, and uh, Facebook. If not, you should definitely take a look. Up next is a short one. It's called the Alaska Artifact. Basically, a team from the University of Colorado was researching prehistoric climate change in 2011 when they stumbled upon something strange. It was a thousand-year-old Eskimo settlement at Camp Espenberg in Alaska. Now, in this thousand-year-old Eskimo settlement, they had... They found an object. It's a bronze object, and it resembles a tiny belt buckle. And it seems to have been made from a mold. So it's even bizarre. It's The fact that it's really old is very interesting. They don't know how it got there. But the fact that it was made in a mold so long ago is even stranger. It seems to be the only ancient artifact of cast bronze to ever come from Alaska. So it's basically a broken ring fastened to a rectangular frame, and it had a leather strap attached, again, like a belt buckle. Depending on what place you get your research from this one, or the what site you go to for this one, radiocarbon dating placed the leather at around AD 600, but they don't know how old the bronze itself is. They do think that it wasn't worked in Alaska, and it had to have come from somewhere else, probably East Asia. Now, it could have been traded and passed through generations and generations as a valuable heirloom, or it could literally be a thousand-year-old cast bronze object, which is the only one of its kind. Okay, this next one can't really be proved or disproved, so let's just tell you the tale of a chain that was found in coal in 1891. June 11th, 1891, a woman named Mrs. Culp went to get some coal for cooking when she noticed a gold chain sticking out of the middle of the coal. Now, here's what the local paper, the Morrisonville Times, said about it. Investigators concluded that the gold chain, which is described as being of, quote, antique and quaint workmanship, had not simply been accidentally dropped in with the coal by a worker since an examination of the item clearly displayed some hard fragments of the coal that still clung on to the links of the chain, while the part of the coal that had been broken apart also still bore the distinct impression of where the chain had been encased in it. It goes on to say, Mrs. Culp thought the chain had been dropped accidentally in the coal, but as she undertook to lift the chain up, the idea of it having been recently dropped was shown to be fallacious, for as the lump of coal broke, it separated almost in the middle and the circular position of the chain placed the two ends near to each other. And as the lump separated, the middle of the chain became loosened while each chain remained fastened to the coal. So, 
it really does seem like some ancient peoples created gold jewelry chain, a gold jewelry chain, and they dropped it where over thousands of years coal formed around it only to be found by Mrs. Culp. Now, these types of stories almost always turn out to be fake. This one might be fake as well, because there is a big red flag on this story. Mrs. Culp's husband, named Silas, was proprietor of the, Morrison, of the Morrisonville Times, and as you know, these types of stories sold newspapers. Also, he was the town's jeweler, so he would know how to make such an ancient-looking chain. So is it real? Probably not. Can I prove that it's bullshit? Nope, not at all. There was a newspaper article about some gold, gold chain found in coal. Mrs. Culp does exist. Silas does exist. It's probably fake, but again, there's no way for me to prove it, so I'm just leaving it here. And not shockingly, it's not the only time gold was found in rock, because the Times of London in 1844 did a story. Now, unfortunately, I can't find the actual article, so here's your grain of salt warning. But the article supposedly said, Men quarrying rock near Tweed, England, discovered a gold thread embedded in stone about eight feet down. The thread, once removed from, once removed from the stone, was sent to the offices of a local newspaper called the Kelso Chronicle. The rock was determined to be 300 million years old, and the gold thread was embedded through the entire piece of rock. All right, here's the problem. Besides the no other description of the rock, the, the gold thread, no facts about what kind of rock it was, how big the rock was, how it was being quarried, how long was the gold thread, how thick was it, was it milled or looked like it had been handmade, was it a natural vein of gold? None of this was said. And like I said, I can't even find the actual article. So, huge grain of salt with this one. In my opinion, they struck gold and immediately thought it was fake gold. Or immediately thought someone put that gold there. Which seems kind of dumb to me because in 1844, they knew exactly how gold was found. Alrighty, with that, we're coming to the last one of this episode. This one's real. People still find them to this day. And they are cool. They're called witch bottles, and in the 15th, 16th, and even the 17th century, these witch bottles would be filled with the victim, and by victim, I mean the person who believes they had a spell put on them by a witch. It was filled with the victim's hair, fingernails, urine, sometimes a red thread. Later witches' bottles were filled with rosemary, needles and pins, and red wine, plus written charms. Now, these bottles were then hidden, usually buried in the farthest corner of the property, under the house, buried under the fireplace, or placed in the walls. Now, it was believed that after being buried, the bottles would capture the evil, which was impaled in the pins inside the bottles, or drowned by the wine, or released by the rosemary. But here's the thing. These bottles are still found today, when houses are torn down or renovated, and the witch bottles only work as long as they remain hidden and unbroken. So, say a construction worker finds and or breaks one, the evil is released. The legend says the evil is released. So, some seriously ancient evil may be being released as these bottles are being found. So, what do these bottles look like so you know not to mess with one? Well... Some are brown earthenware with a face on them, and the face will have a beard. And these are known as the Bellarmine Jug, under the, uh, after the Catholic Inquisitor Robert Bellarmine. But others are just plain glazed jug-looking things. So, basically, long story short, if you're remodeling or tearing down a very old house, and you come across a bottle, don't break it. Don't open it. If I were you, I would bury it again. Alrighty, that about does it for this episode of Ancient and Mysterious Objects. I hope you guys liked this one. There was a lot more debunk than the last one, but I do that for a reason. Because you can find lists of ancient and mysterious objects, and most of the lists have the same things and the same BS. 
I'm trying to break these cycles. I'm trying to prove that these stories are fake so they don't keep getting regurgitated time and time again. If you come across a site that says this one is real, well, and I've already debunked it on this episode, well, there's a reason I can tell you it's not real. I'm not just guessing. I'm not saying, well, it's debunked and just moving on. I'm giving you examples of why it was debunked. These people didn't exist. The universities that supposedly tested the item, they said, no, we haven't. We've never tested these items. Or the chemical composition isn't all that mysterious at all. I spend a lot of time debunking these for myself, for you guys, for the internet, and for proof that some things are real and those, and those real things are really bizarre and unexplained, but some things are just fake. They're just made up stories that keep getting told time and time again, and it's time for those stories to stop being listed as quote, real stories. Once again, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Simus than Snishnewus than Headmaster Gabby Storm.